You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. No, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. <laughs> now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. In the uh, words of the Beach Boys song, I wish they all could be California girls. Those southern girls, the way they talk, they knock me out when I'm down there. And I noticed that. I was doing a uh, speaking engagement down south, and a woman came up to me afterward and said, I enjoyed you. I said, you're in Georgia. No, I'm Georgia. Uh-huh. My mom and I in Georgia. Your mom and you are in Georgia. <laughs> I'm learning it. I'm learning it. It's Dr. Ray Gurendi. Thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. This is Look Back Friday. Take calls from previous programs for various reasons. Replay parts of the call, not the whole thing, and then I extrapolate. I comment on the call. I offer some observations during the call. When I was in grad school, one of the things we had to do was bring in recordings of our sessions. The supervisor would then say, why did you say that? Why did you use that word? Where were you going with this? Do you think that was the issue? So it was kind of a, it was sort of a scary, unsettling sort of process, but you learned a lot from it. And I find on Look Back Friday, take these calls, and then I comment on the way the person presented it, what I said in response, why I said it, why I was dumb in saying it, all different things about the call. So we've got uh, several calls up there to, to use. George Carlin, the comedian, said he had a rule of life. He said, uh, don't sweat the petty things and don't pet the sweaty things. Now, petty meaning insignificant, of little or no importance. When I do marriage therapy, fairly often, there are small irritants in the marriage that have been kept alive for years, decades. Uh, they're not big things. There are maybe quirks or habits that the spouse has that the other spouse just finds irritating, agitating, frustrating, annoying. And they don't let it go. And typically, it's not a big thing. They've, they've certainly got other big things, but these things are petty. They're small, but they result in a peevishness that comes to infiltrate the marriage. I have my own personal story about this. My mom was a neatnik. My mom, okay, let me describe it to you. My mom wallpapered her closets. 
My mom had an indoor-outdoor carpet on the garage floor. My mom was very orderly, very neat. Now, I don't know if I got some of that genetically or I lived around it and just came to absorb it, but I was reasonably a neatnik. God has a sense of humor. I can't be a neatnik when you have 10 kids under 12. Their idea of order was radically different from my own. I had to relax my standards. When my wife and I were first married, pre-children, we were getting to learn each other. We learn each other's ways, their everyday personality issues, quirks, whatever it is about one's makeup that the other person learns to live with. Or hopefully learns to live with, because if you don't, then it just becomes a source of peevish friction. And I noted that my wife tended to leave cupboard doors open. That's no big deal. Cupboard doors, okay, well... I'll just mention it to her. You know, I'm a highly trained professional in communication. So I can, indeed, explain it to her in such a way as she will say, Oh, my. Yes, of course. I didn't realize that, Ray. I, I certainly will. Yeah, no big deal. Eh, we'll get that result. That's not big. That's not that's something that's going to affect our marriage. Well, apparently, I, I'm not the savvy communicator that I think I am. Or the... Cupboard door habit was more long-standing. But by and large, despite my re-re-re-re-re-re-re-reminders, those cupboard doors routinely would be left open. Now, a mature person, early on in the marriage, would simply shut them. That's the good thing to do, right? Shut them. Big deal. I said, mature person. So one day came down and uh, found that uh, out of 12 cupboard doors, seven of them were left open. Now, it takes less effort to, to open the other five than to close seven by a factor of two. Well, not really a factor, but by a number of two. So I opened the other five. And I just waited for my wife to come in and, and notice this. She came in, shocked what she saw, <gasps> realizing she didn't do that, that, that some, somebody else must have added to the openness, and at that time, there were no children to blame this upon. It was me. She knew it was me. She didn't say a word, though. It's my wife. She's a sweetheart. She didn't say a word. So she just quietly closed all 12. No, okay. So this went on a few more days, and the cupboard doors kind of were in various stages of half-mast. So I figured, all right, it's about time I just keep my mouth shut and I shut those cupboard doors. So I did. I shut them loud enough. I think that the neighbors came over and said, are you guys shooting off firecrackers in here? Now, <clears throat> as I got to thinking about this, I'm saying to myself, Ray, when you married Randy, you outkicked your coverage. For those of you who are not familiar with football, this basically means that I married up. I got a woman that is far beyond anything I would have expected to have as a life partner. 
wonderful qualities. So here I am getting myself bent out of shape over some cupboard doors. Is that dumb or what? Ridiculous. Secondly, I realized that I was sort of creeping towards personalization. And by that I mean the attitude kicks in. And this happens a lot with these little petty things in a marriage. Well, if they cared enough, they would they would respect my wishes and what I've been asking them to do. And obviously, they may not care enough. That has nothing to do with it in most cases. A lot of times it's just forgetfulness. It's inattentiveness. It's a habit. It's all, it has nothing to do with personalization. And I realized this, and fortunately, it didn't take me seven years. It took me it took me a few days, give or take a couple of weeks. And I realized, given the sweetheart that I was married to, Raymond, quit being a jerk and just shut the doors. That's all. What's the problem here? Now, it's easy in a marriage for somebody to think, I shouldn't have to do that. What do you mean you shouldn't have to do that? It's no no big deal. Especially when you're married to somebody that is so wonderful in so many ways and you're sitting here getting yourself focused on some little quirk. What? Randy didn't say it. I said it. Ray, quit being a jerk. Now, over the years, I leave less doors open than Randy does. However, I noticed that since I quit way back nagging about that, she just closed more doors. And I know that she's closed even mine, because I've left mine open, too. Because I thought, babe, easy to do. I realize that. But the interesting thing about Randy is she just quietly shuts them. She doesn't say anything to me about it. She just shuts it. Don't let petty things come to take on a life that dominates your day-to-day in your marriage. You can keep yourself agitated over something silly, something small. Something meaningless. But what you do is you infuse it with meaning. And you let it upset you. That's really dumb. I admit, I was a jerk. But I'm not that dumb. Because I quit getting upset about it. And furthermore, the more important thing is, I quit upsetting Randy about it. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. The American Medical Association says informed consent to medical treatment is a fundamental right 
established in both medical ethics and U.S. law. Patients have the right to receive information and ask questions about recommended treatments so that they can make well-considered decisions about care. When speaking with a patient regarding different procedures and care options, a physician must give accurate information about the diagnosis, treatment, benefits, and risk, and allow the patient to ask questions. Ensure the patient understands the consequences of the treatment alternatives and decide if the patient is capable of making decisions with a sound mind. Document the informed consent conversation and the patient's or their healthcare agent's treatment decision. It is vital to have a healthcare agent who is aware of all your wishes, values, and medical information so that your wishes are respected in the event you are not able to make these decisions at some point. This Medical Moment, brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Did you ever notice the idea of living a long life appeals to most people? But the idea of getting old to do it doesn't appeal to anybody. I guess I want to live a long life at a certain age, huh? You ever think about that? If you could pick an age that you would stay at, what would it be? Most people don't pick the 20s. The 20s, you're still doing a fair amount of maturing, hopefully. Most people pick in their 30s. You're still youthful, but yet you've learned enough about life to be more stable in your thinking not so easily upset about stuff. I think if I had to pick, I'd say 35. I'd say 35. I remember 35. I do. Uh, Korean War had uh, just ended. Korean War just ended. Look back Friday here. Let's see what uh, Tom from Ohio, who is taking on a, uh, a very unsettling... Situation. He's moving in to pick up the pieces. He's a grandfather, and he has a granddaughter with a diagnosis who will be coming in to live with them. My wife and I have a 29-year-old granddaughter who is going to be released, who's scheduled to be released from a mental health evaluation center soon. And uh, at present, she doesn't really have anywhere to go, and we are opening our doors to her. And... Uh, if it helps you, she's been diagnosed as being bipolar. She's had episodes of psychosis, and uh, the word schizophrenia has been dropped a couple times. I don't believe that that's a uh, a diagnosis, but uh, that's that's been a question. We were just kind of wondering uh, what if you would have any advice for us and what we might expect or what we might or might not do. We've got a good, pretty good guidelines set out for what we're going to do we're not going to uh, we're not going to make this an open-ended deal where she's going to have a lot of freedom we're definitely going to keep an eye on her and she's not going to have the freedom of a vehicle for one thing and uh anyway we're just kind of curious as to what you might uh, throw out there for some advice or what you've experienced in uh, situations like this you said one thing there tom 
little bit confusing. She said she's had a few psychotic episodes where she's lost contact with reality or she's become delusional or she's had auditory hallucinations. And that earned her, if you will, the diagnosis of schizophrenia, which is probably legit. So the bipolar probably refers to, and I don't know if it's cyclical or not, but it probably refers to uh, mood fluctuations, very serious, significant mood fluctuations, maybe high-level agitation, manic conduct, high energy level, all of that stuff. So she's 29. When was her first episode? You know, this is where it gets kind of sketchy because my wife and I have just been kind of brought into this circle within the last couple months. Uh, This has been going on for uh, a little over two years, I believe. She's been in and out of uh, a couple other different facilities. She is married, has a a two-year-old child, or three-year-old, I forget, her husband is in the process of uh, filing for divorce. Anyway, it's uh, that's going to get pretty complicated. But anyway, like I said, we've just been brought into the circle here in the last couple months. And Who brought you in? Basically, Who brought you in? My son did. This would be... I mean, we, we've been aware of some problems, but we haven't really been uh, privy to all the details that have, that have happened. This, this would on. be his daughter? Yes. Uh-huh. Why doesn't he take her in? Uh, He has just been, uh, him and his wife have been divorced, and uh, he has basically started a new family, and it's just not a good atmosphere to introduce, they don't feel that it's a good atmosphere to introduce a situation like this into their home. Their view is, now it's interesting, Tom, that you said all all you are aware of is that this happened a couple years ago for the first time. I bet if you dug a little deeper, you'd find out that uh, some of this stuff started to occur with more intensity, late teens, early 20s. It's a much more common age range for this, and it, it got more extreme. So what you're describing, first thing I would suggest is talk to your son. Get as much background as you can about how all of this has complicated her life. Has she been on the streets? Has she used drugs? Has she been in any trouble with the law? Uh, what, what ways has all this manifested itself in conduct? So at the very least, you'll have some sense. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior in similar circumstances. So okay. you, you won't be shell shocked by what she might do. Okay. Yeah, we're we have uh, we have gotten some information along those lines as uh, the past history in the last couple of years and things that have happened, and uh, yeah, we're we are aware of uh, things that have happened, and uh, she has prior to entering into this last facility a couple months ago, she stayed with us for. Uh, about three days, and uh, kind of we laid the groundwork then for uh, the possibility of her coming here. And it was a it was a very pleasant stay, actually. I mean, uh, it, uh, it it seems like things have turned around or started to turn around in this this phase that she's in now. She seems to be fully aware of the this uh, 
the severity of the problem and the, the seriousness of the problem. Well, that would be wonderful. Be to getting it corrected. That would be wonderful, and I'm assuming she has a psychiatrist keeping a close eye on her, titrating her meds. Um, if not, you better get one. Secondly, yeah, that's, that's all. Uh, that's all okay. in, in line, and that's that's what we're hopeful for. And I I think it's headed in the right direction. Secondly, in my opinion, you are being heroic in taking in someone with this kind of mental health history. And the reason I say that is because if those diagnoses are correct, and if in fact they've been around for minimally two years, probably more, they tend to wax and wane. They tend to come and go so that you can have relatively quiet periods of adjustment, but then the neurochemistry in the brain can act up. And it isn't, yeah, it isn't necessarily anything that you can reason with or talk through. It's something you're going to have to deal straight on. And there could be some chances that she'll have to be recommitted even while she stays with you. So I, I guess what I'm going to summarize with is that know you're getting into a very, very difficult situation. In situations like this, now again, the bipolar diagnosis... There was an interesting study done by um, Harvard, Harvard Medical School. And they said that the bipolar diagnosis, according to more stringent criteria, is overdiagnosed about 50% of the time. So that was one of the things I was asking here. Uh, I know I've had, I've had kids, uh, teenagers, who have been diagnosed bipolar, and, and they're not really bipolar in the clinical sense of the word. They are... Emotional, moody, ups and downs, periods of frustration, um, marked by periods of reasonable content. That's why I was asking about any psychotic features were there. Now, he, he mentioned that the diagnosis of schizophrenia, which, which is an old term. Uh, I think there's movement to change that terminology, but for right now, it is the one that's ascendant. It means various ways of losing contact with reality. And it's typically brought on by some kind of neurochemical disruption. And we're just slowly beginning to understand what that could be. The brain is the most complex thing we know of in the universe. So, if in fact she comes in, it would be good for Tom and his wife to sit down with her and say... Here's what we can do to help you get back on your feet. If A, B, C, and D happens, we're not sure we are equipped to handle that. So at that point, we will look for other options, whether it's a group home or some kind of subsidized housing, some something, because they will have to at least anticipate what could happen. May not, but what could. There's a phrase that's used a lot in military circles, but I think it's a good rule of life. Hope for the best. Plan for the worst. So what happens if she has another psychotic break? Hospitalization? Involuntary commitment? What if she refuses? 
Any kind of violent outbursts? How will you handle those? Will there be recourse to law, the police, if that happens? Uh, What if she decides, I don't really want to live here during the evenings, I'm going to stay out at night? All, All of these things could occur. May not necessarily be high probability, but anticipate. And this is a good rule of thumb, I think, for any adult living with you that is becoming increasingly hard to manage. time I hear that, I think one of these, remember that, those series for the long time, for the longest time, they were like these private eye series. For my money, the best was Columbo. The best. He had, you know, I think Columbo parenting is a great technique. Say your 14 year old wants to go to an event that, um, you know, you definitely have gut instincts against and that for parents is good enough sometimes gut instincts is what you follow and you do a Columbo it's like uh, well a couple things I don't understand just 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 one more question they figure you're a ditz anyway you might as well play it to your advantage this is look back Friday so we're moving through our list of calls here Fran from Minnesota is very honest about this and I think she's not alone in this struggle. And that is, well, I think we need to define the word enemies. I'm not one to go to confession, but I have gone lately. And my biggest confess is the hate, the pure hate I feel for our politicians and the transgender show in front of the Dodger game that was to me that I saw Satan and the priest tells me I have to love those people there are several levels my dear to your question let's take the most generic one you might be confusing what love means If you think it means I have to feel warm and ushy-gushy toward those folks, then you're right. You're going to have a hard time loving them. But if you view love as, I hope and pray they see the error of their ways, that's love. So, is it safe to say you would wish that they would see the error of their ways? Of course. Okay. You're not saying to yourself, you know what? I hope they just keep acting the way they're acting so they roast in hell. You're not saying that. Well, well, I know it's tempting, but but you're not you're you're you I know what you're saying. You're saying I hope they get theirs is what you're saying. But no, I I no, I'm more like freaked out because I feel like I'm seeing Satan. You may that may be. I, I'm becoming more and more convinced 
that the role and the influence of Satan in our modern culture here is really getting pretty heavy, pretty pervasive. I, it's got to be. There's, you, you can't rationally explain a lot of this stuff. So that's the first thing. You've got to watch how you define love. Second thing, in some respects, if indeed these people are far from God, if they are power-hungry, self-seeking, if they perpetuate evil, then they could be in very big trouble when they stand before God. I'm not judging what their state of their soul is, but I wouldn't want to be continuously behaving that way and then counting on God to go, ah, ah, you were just slightly mistaken, don't worry about it. So in that sense, I know you're not going to believe this, Fran, but you almost might want to feel a bit sorry for them. They're lost. They're lost. I'm I'm trying to have my heart do that. I also sometimes feel angry. I'm adding a little something here. I'll, I'll quit. I also wish our priests, if there would have been like 40 priests praying next to these transgenders making fun of the sisters, I think that would be pretty powerful. And I wish the priests would come out more and defend our faith. You're dealing with humanness, Fran. Um, was Christ God? Yes. Did he have a, uh, a perfect understanding of human nature? Yes, right? Of course he did. He's yeah. God. Okay. Of course yeah. he did. All right. <laughs> did, he, did he pick 12 guys? Yes. Now, one of those guys betrayed him. One of those guys swore an oath to a slave girl that he didn't even know him. And the other 10 ran and hid. Now, what's going on here? This is God picking his followers, and this is how they acted. So I guess what I'm saying here, Fran, is that if you upset yourself over people who act counter to the faith that they proclaim, you're going to really be upset all the time. The other thing I would suggest, too, if you're immersed in the news, and you're immersed in all the trash and the sewage that's coming at you 24-7, Cut way mm-hmm. back on it, Fran. Go out and mow your lawn. Cut it out. Yeah. You know how you're going to vote. I have, but it's there. I, well, of course it's there. Here's what I would say to you. Next time you feel so hostile toward these people, here's what I want you to tell God. Dear Lord, thank you that I know what I know. Thank you that you have allowed me to see you. And to love you, and to want to serve you. Because the more you look around you, and you more, the more you see lost people, the more grateful you got to be for what you've been given. It's easy now to feel hostile. And hostility increases as helplessness increases. Fran was essentially saying, I don't have any power to undo any of this, to correct it. So that hostility was just brewing, breeding upon itself. For most of human history, all you knew was your immediate world. That's all you knew. 
your village, your clan, your tribe. The news that you knew came from other people's mouths. That was it. And your understanding and your extent of what's going on in the world, and you probably didn't even know the extent of the world for most of human history, was was non-existent. You didn't know any of this stuff. Your problems were very personal problems. Because of technology, we now have the ability to bring the world into your mind. All of it. The hatred, the satanic stuff, the vileness, the immediacy of it all. It's right there. As a result, can I've often wrestled with, can humans deal with this? Can humans actually absorb this and yet not be like Fran or be depressed or say, I'm, I'm struggling terribly to get over it? How can I be at peace? How can I be happy? I get that in, I get that in the office with clients. They're depressed, they're angry, they're upset. Why? Because the world around them that they know of. So, yeah, the first thing you do is you, you cut back on it. The second thing you do is, in a lot of respects, you, you feel sorry for those who are lost. You truly do. Now, they can hurt others and they must be stopped. But so many of them are just lost. And you're not lost. nice to have you with me. Pretty much a privilege to be able to do this program, as I've said in the past oftentimes. My grandfather, who came from Italy at age 17, he passed away before I actually got into Catholic media or speaking. He passed away when I was 23, so I was still in school, hadn't really embarked upon speaking for a living. And I could only imagine Papo, that's what we called him, Papo. Ramit! What do you do? Oh, I talk. I talk, Papa. You talk? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I talk to people. I talk to groups. You get the paid for that? He couldn't have understood it. To work was to, <laughs> to do things with your hands, to make things, to build things. <laughs> the fact that I'm sitting here with a cup of pop right around the one o'clock line here on my desk where I'm sitting and pretzels on the other side talking to you be totally foreign to his world alrighty let's go to another call Rosa's having a little struggle I love that name Rosa it's my grandfather's name and it's my little granddaughter's name Rosa well not Rosa Rose she would like to send her kids to Catholic school However, there's an obstacle, big one, called money. You have four children. I have four kids, yes. Yes. 12, 11, 7, and 1. So Mm. my two oldest are in middle school. I think they're all well-rounded. We go to church every Sunday. Uh, My husband and I always eat dinner together, things like that. But the things that that come out of their mouths sometimes, or I hear other kids, you know, worries me. I, I... I asked for um, 
tuition information on a Catholic school nearby, and it was just way too much for us to afford. I can't afford it. Um, so I thought, you know, doing what I can at home, you know, keeping them grounded type of thing and telling them the world is not normal, we're normal, would be enough. But my little one, the seven-year-old who is going to first grade, has already brought up stuff that my other kids had never brought up at that age. That's partly so, why we homeschooled. We had two of our kids, our two oldest, coming home with all kinds of yes. worldliness at age six and seven. That just, I said to my wife, that's it. If you want to homeschool, we'll homeschool. I tried homeschooling one year of COVID, and it was the hardest thing ever. I I don't want to do that. I I wanted your opinion on what you thought about me only putting the younger two in Catholic school. You do whatever you want, Rosa. Too. Rosa, you do whatever you want. You're the mom. Yes. You um, know, you you're in a no much better position to know. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Okay, I'm going to yell at you. You going to ready to be yelled at? Yes. Rosa, you're mom. If you say in my judgment I know my children. These are the ones that I think are most likely to be influenced in a certain setting. And I can't afford to send all of them to Catholic school. So I'm going to send these two. End of story. Your mom. Okay. You don't have to say, yeah, I don't know, is that fair? I mean, I don't want to treat my children fair. My gosh. Okay, but let me answer a couple other questions you didn't ask. One, you might want to explore either a voucher system or some type of um, help, financial help, scholarship, something. I know a lot more Catholic schools are taking advantage of that. You might want to look into that. You may have more financial options than you realize. That's one. Two, you decide which ones, in your opinion, are being most influenced. I'll give you a small example. My children are grown now. But... The last two we sent on to Catholic school, my son and my daughter, the two youngest, Catholic high school. My son navigated it very well. He, he was not influenced by many of the peer attitudes, many of the peer beliefs. My daughter did not. So halfway through her sophomore year, I went in and sat down with the principal and said, we're pulling her out. And he said, why? I said, because she's being influenced by so much, we're watching her change, we, we don't like the direction this has gone. And so we did. So he stayed. That was from a Catholic school? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He stayed. She got pulled out. We made the judgment on the basis of the individual kid. Okay. Now, here's what I could say to you, because I'm the professional, and you come to me for my wisdom. Yeah. I probably would not send the one-year-old to school right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, if you were thinking that, I just I don't want to weigh in on something that's none of my business. But you might want to yeah. rethink it. Wait till next year, maybe hold him back a year, see what happens here, <laughs> yeah. whether he's reading or writing cursive, something like that. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor Ray. But I would suggest if you if you can't get financial help, and I think you can, Rosa. You look around. I think you can. But if you can't, you decide which ones. And you can tell them. You can say, you know, guys, I don't really like what you're coming home with at all. Now, I know, Rosa, there are people out there thinking, uh, yeah, Dr. Ray, well, I'll tell you what, they're going to come home with the same stuff if they go to Catholic school. 
That may be because a lot of these kids gone to Catholic school are not as socialized as Rosa's kids. But at least, Rosa would say, I can have a little more control over that environment. I shouldn't start out my answer with well. That's like I'm stalling for time. If you have as your ultimate goal to raise the children in the faith, that it be the very center of your family life, you can be assured of this. The majority of others that your kids are going to school with are not being raised that way. I'm not saying they're bad kids. I'm not saying they're bad families. I'm simply saying that they are probably more worldly than your own. And therefore, your, your kid's innocence, your kid's faith-filled look at life is probably going to rub off on them a lot less than their worldliness will rub off on your children. Now, you can, you can handle that. You can deal with it as the issues come up. You be aware. You have to know what's going on at school. You have to be much more vigilant than otherwise. Perosa said a couple of things. Now, one of the big arguments, of course, against Catholic era homeschooling is, what about socialization? It's always, it's always puzzled me. It makes no sense. The question makes no sense. It can be answered so many ways. First of all, if you just look at the research, the research is out, and it says the kids who are homeschooled are generally more broadly socialized than kids who go to school. You'd expect that. I mean, my fourth grader is going to be primarily socialized throughout the day by a bunch of fourth graders, not mom and dad. It's one thing. Second thing is, what is socialization? What exactly is it? Is it the tug and pull of learning to get along with a whole bunch of different people? That's part of it. But for the most part, socialization is really moralization. I'm teaching this child morals and virtue and how to use them to navigate life better. Well, that's the parent's job. It's not the school's job, and it's not their peer's job. So when someone says, what about socialization? You have to say, socialization to what? I want them socialized to, to my view of the world and religion rather than a group of their peers. What about socialization? That makes no sense. Then you can say, well, then how were children socialized before the advent of public school? Public schools are a relatively recent phenomenon in human history. Widespread education across the board of pretty much all kids is a relatively new concept. So how were kids socialized prior to it? I heard a high-profile media person who is supposed to have some understanding and knowledge of the human condition say that if you don't send your kids to school, they're not going to learn how to get along with people. Excuse me? What is it? That somehow my fourth grader who's going to navigate 
getting along with other fourth graders or fifth graders or sixth graders, in essence, on his own, in a lot of respects, because you're not there, he's right there, is somehow shortchanging him if I don't expose him to that, if I choose not to expose him to that. Now, don't mishear me. The bulk of kids go to public school and, and a, a, about 10% go to private Catholic schools. Okay. And for the most part, they do navigate it. But I will tell you, it brings issues into the home life much earlier, much earlier than most parents would want those issues into home life. My children were coming home with words and concepts and sexuality at age six and seven that just shocked me down to my shoes. Fortunately, we had the option to homeschool. Interestingly enough, one of this is a small, small indication. My son was in second grade. His sister was in first. When my wife would drop him off at the school doors, he did not want his sister walking anywhere near him. Not cool to hang with the first graders. That was the law of the school streets. He was a second grader. She was a first grader. Ew, don't get near me. He wasn't that crude about it, but that was his demeanor. When we homeschooled him, after about three to four months, she was his best friend. They did all kinds of things together out, in public even, and he totally lost the stratification of the social relationships. I'm second grade, she's first grade, we don't associate. She's my sister, out in public, not cool. He even got to the point where he he wanted his mother to kind of drop him off, sort of down the way a little bit, so she wouldn't hug him and kiss him goodbye too much. Then after we brought him home, he would hold his mother's hand, he'd go places with her and walk with her in his hand, because he didn't know the peer rules. That was our experience. It's not everybody's, but it was ours. So I would say to Rosa, Rosa, you send who you want to Catholic school. The two older ones, your opinion, are further along in their peer socialization, and you learn some lessons from that, and you say, I can afford to, then go for it. You deal with each children as you size up what they best need. You don't have everything totally equal in all ways across the board. Several of my children drove long before others' kids, others did. Because of trustworthiness. We didn't worry about, well, you know, her her brother got to drive when he was 16 and she's not driving until she's 17 and a half. Oh, boy. We didn't do that. We judged it according to each child. Dr. Ray. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor, Joseph Shafransky, who would like to say, Today on my 79th birthday, I'd like to thank my parents, Antony and Parania Shafransky, for the gift of life and for passing down to me my Ukrainian Catholic faith. Happy birthday, Joseph, from all of us here at Ave Maria Radio. If you have a message you want to share, be a day sponsor at 877-288-1077. Can our society return to sanity? No, not without widespread spiritual revival. 
I don't see how it can happen. As Richard Weaver said in the classic, Ideas Have Consequences, nothing can be done until we have decided whether we are primarily interested in truth. And that's a capital T. Not my truth, not your truth, but the truth we share of an objective moral universe. And that's where we have to stand firm and insist with all grace and with all love that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he did teach that the truth is good and will set us free. But there's no freedom until we re-embrace some shared understanding of the truth. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays from 4 to 6 on Ave Maria Radio and the Ave Maria Radio app. This program brought to you by the following nonprofit company. From Affirm Films comes Journey to Bethlehem. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. You are in danger, Mary. This child. What is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem, starring Fiona Palomo, Milo Mannheim, Lecrae, Joel Smallbone, and Antonio Banderas. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere, November 10th. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. Somebody on a horseback riding towards the mountains, foothills of the west. Amazing how music conveys universal type images. Dr. Ray, thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. Rosa said something in passing that she probably didn't realize the importance of it, or maybe she did. She said, We always eat together. Some years ago, Reader's Digest had some kind of survey on which kids achieved the most in school. And they found that the number one correlation, now it's not causation, but correlation, was family dinners. The more frequently the parents and the kids ate together, the more likely the kids would do well in school. Now, eating together probably reflected an awful lot of other factors, parental involvement, family structure, importance, perhaps religion. So those were the factors. But eating together was a byproduct of those bigger factors that Reader's Digest said we found this consistently in so many of the kids who did very well in school. So feed them green beans, probably get a better grade point. I'm Dr. Ray. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. The biggest factor is your walk with God. You walk with Him. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.